Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College, offering a fully online graduate-level certificate in learning differences and neurodiversity programs. Visit landmark.edu certificate to learn more. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I would get so stressed out and I'd have like panic attacks all the time. And my panic attacks were like just me like kind of hyperventilating and crying. That was like a bi-weekly occurrence probably. There's just always kind of an underlying like throughout the entire day you're going to get misgendered. Oh boy. So much fun. That's a huge factor of my daily anxieties. Like am I passing? The answer is usually no. You are in this hole that you're trying to climb out of it, but it's like at the same time you want somebody to help you grab your hand and climb out of it, but at the same time it's so hard to give your hand to somebody. Those were students Alden, Danny, and Gigi talking about what it's like to cope with anxiety. Welcome back to MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Katrina Schwartz. And I'm Ki Sung. This is the start of a brand new season for us. And this time, we took our cues from you, our audience. We asked you what you care most about in your kids' schools. And we saw a lot of overlap between what parents said and what teachers said. Everyone is worried that school today doesn't promote a love of learning. This season, we're exploring a variety of ways to bring joy back to learning and to teaching. And Katrina, I've been looking forward to this episode because you're going to be focusing on a topic we hear about all the time from parents and teachers. Everyone's genuinely confused about why their kids are having such a crisis with anxiety. I wake up every day and think about what my daughter goes through and how I can best help her. It's followed by a sadness and a hope that eventually it'll all just come together. That was Jamie Sherwood, a mom and a fan of MindShift. Her kids have struggled deeply with anxiety, and she's definitely not alone. We're starting to see real numbers behind the stories that parents and teachers are telling us about the anxiety that their kids are experiencing. The NIH estimates that a third of teens have been or will be affected by serious anxiety in their lifetimes. And more recently, numbers on depression, lack of sleep, and loneliness have spiked. So do you know what's going on with that? Like, why is anxiety such a big problem right now? 
Well, it's hard to say. I mean, of course, adults want to blame it on social media, and that could definitely be part of it. But it's really hard to know because the triggers are different for every kid. One thing that we do know is that anxiety is different than just plain old stress. It's much more debilitating. It's a condition that can get in the way of relationships and stuff like work and school. Interesting. I wanted to know what this type of anxiety actually feels like. How do kids get through the day with it? And when they're in crisis, what do schools do? Everything kind of started with the depression and anxiety after the passing of my grandfather. He was like that um, safe space for me. And so losing that was really big. I met Brianna Cedillo through her journalism class at El Cerrito High School, about 20 minutes outside of San Francisco. She pitched my radio station, KQED, a story about anxiety. So I asked if she wanted to collaborate. She's a senior with beautiful green eyes that glitter when she talks about her grandfather. Two years ago, she never would have imagined talking to a stranger about something so personal. But she's been seeing a school counselor and told me she's trying to be more open with people. I wake up in the morning and I don't feel anything. She's 18 years old, and she's grappled with anxiety and depression since middle school. But she didn't know what to call it then. I asked her to describe how it felt at the time, in her body, as if it were happening today. I'm not hungry. I'm not excited. I'm not happy. I'm not sad. I'm just, I'm numb. Um, I go to school and put on a smile for people, pretend that I care, take the work, don't do the work because I don't care. I go home. I'll be on my phone. I'll do anything but do what I'm supposed to. She lost a lot of weight and withdrew from her family. She was surprised that no one seemed to notice, or if they did, they let it go when she said she was just tired. Brianna lives with her mom grandma, great-grandmother, and little brother. There are a lot of people in her house, but only her little brother seemed to notice her sadness, and Brianna wanted to protect him from it. She says she thought about suicide. I didn't see myself living past my sophomore year or walking across the stage for graduation. So I kind of just, I was like, well, I'm not going to make it that far, so I might as well not even try. By that time, the depression had gotten so bad, Brianna hardly recognized herself. Middle school had been rough socially, but she'd always kept her grades up, making the honor roll three times. Halfway through high school, she was barely passing. It wasn't who I was, and I knew it, but I didn't have the energy to fix it. But even though Brianna couldn't muster up any enthusiasm for life, she was simultaneously hyper-aware of what people thought about her. This is super common, by the way. Depression and anxiety often go together. Brianna was anxious about how she looked and behaved at school. But her anxiety was at its worst when she thought about her sliding grades and disappointing her mom. I wake up in the morning. I'm thinking, what am I going to wear? What am I going to wear? What am I going to wear? People are going to see me in this. What am I going to wear? Um... I eat some type of, like, I don't know, piece of toast, waffle. Get in the car. Again, I'm checking myself in the mirror every 10 minutes just to make sure that I look decent enough to be around people. 
Um, I get to school, go through my classes. I don't answer questions that I know because people will stare, and I don't like when people stare. Um, and then I get home, and it's like there's just something that goes off, and then the anxiety kind of kicks in. Everything that I did that day, the way I pronounced something, the way I did something, the way I walked. Brianna somehow managed to keep all those feelings under control until she got home, where she felt safe. By then, everything she'd been bottling up all day came spilling out. And then I started thinking about my mom. My mom needs, like, she needs better, and I should be doing this, and I'm not doing it. And then I start to panic, and then it's like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to disappoint my mom, and then and then I can't breathe, and then I get shaky. And I, and I end up, like, on a, in a ball on the floor, um, just trying to get my breathing back on track. It made me ache to think of Brianna feeling so fragile, fighting to hold herself together so no one would see her pain, so no one would be burdened by her emotions. Four generations living in her house, but she was good at hiding. And she would have kept on like that, except something really scary happened. There was a shooting right outside Brianna's house. It was like in my front yard. (laughs) Yeah, it was horrible. She was terrified. But looking back, she thinks there was a hidden silver lining. I realized that I wanted to be alive. The next day, Brianna went to school as usual. Her first class was biology with Miss Burks. She doesn't remember what they were studying that day because for the first time, Brianna cracked at school. I ended up having a a panic attack and the teacher in that class brought me here. And that's how I got help. The teacher brought her to the James Morehouse Project, the school's wellness center. I wasn't necessarily looking for any help. I wasn't even sure that I'd come back. Brianna is lucky her school has a place like the James Morehouse Project. It's named after a now-retired staff member who prioritized deep relationships with kids. And so then when you had the panic attack in class and your teacher brought you here, had you, like, known about the center or, like, ever thought of coming here before? Oh, yeah, I I knew about it, but I had never, like, wanted the help, so I didn't come. In California, the average school has one counselor for 700 students. But the James Morehouse Project offers almost a third of the student population some type of counseling each year. That's because it runs a large internship program for social workers. All those extra adults make a big difference. I'm very like grateful for the moment I guess I mean it was horrible but then like that's also the moment that saved my life kids at El Cerrito High are dealing with a lot there's trauma and stress from growing up in poor and violent neighborhoods fear about what's happening in the immigration system and all the normal family stuff and social drama that all kids deal with can I get a visitor pass I'm going to visit the James Morehouse Center It's mid-morning on a Thursday at El Cerrito High. Um, I'll just follow you. It's the time when the James Morehouse Project Anxiety Group meets in the Annex, a small room with a table and a whiteboard. The walls are covered with inspirational quotes and brainstorms left over from other groups. There are some snacks for munching, popcorn and water. 
Students are allowed out of class for groups like these, but not too often. They're scattered around a worn table. Some nervously toy with papers in front of them. Others stare straight down when they're asked to talk. Um, and as we've talked about today, we're moving more into sort of coping skills and responses to anxiety. One student, Danny, reads what they wrote about recognizing their anxiety. I feel fight or flight instincts, shaky hands, or a tight chest. I can tell it's coming by the way it sounds like a ticking clock and feels like suffocation. The two social work interns who run this group, Rachel Kropaniski and Forrest Novak, are teaching students to recognize the signs of anxiety and send them back to class with skills to cope. It uses words like failure, disappointment, and not enough. The social workers started this group because they noticed many students felt alone in their anxiety. I mean, it's isolating to be anxious. Nina Kaiser, an independent therapist who works with a lot of anxious kids, says it's common for kids to feel like they're the only ones struggling. Roughly 30 percent of teenagers are having a really significant experience with anxiety, right? So people who are struggling are not alone in that, but often can really feel that way. But I've got good news for you. She says psychologists have a pretty good idea of how to treat anxiety. That's why she likes working with anxious kids. You can see huge changes in functioning that are really rewarding as a professional. So we're going to break it down for you. Anxiety affects how your body feels as well as your thoughts. Therapy can be very effective at treating both your thinking patterns and the reactions they produce. So your brain is constantly scanning your environment looking for danger. It's true for all of us, right? Every single one of us. Um, but when you are experiencing anxiety, that part of your brain, it's, it's almost like an alarm or a smoke detector, right? That goes off more frequently. And when your brain senses danger, it triggers the fight or flight response. All of us have smoke detectors at home, right? Sometimes they go off when there's a fire. <laughs> Sometimes they go off when you're cooking hamburgers, right? And so if you're having anxiety, it's it's like that part of your brain is, is um, you're getting a lot of false alarms. In the El Cerrito Anxiety Group, the social workers want students to recognize when they're getting a false alarm so they can tell themselves a different story. Here's Danny again, this time sharing how they can view their anxiety differently. When anxiety uses words like not enough or they hate you, I replace those words with helpful and remind myself that I'm worthwhile and productive. Even though anxiety tells me I'm useless and lazy, I know that I'm really focused and artistic. I hear some common themes from the anxiety group students. Overthinking, negative thoughts, fear of judgment, difficulty getting through simple tasks. What do you wish your parents or teachers knew about anxiety? And what do you want them to know about supporting you when you feel anxious? Even if you're, like, doing the bare minimum in class and you're, like, barely passing, like, a lot of people with anxiety are still working really hard. Just doing one little assignment can be really hard. It's not something you can really grow out of because it's always going to be there. Pronouns, it would be nice if they asked because I'm always too scared to go up to the teacher and talk to them about it or say it out loud in class. El Cerrito High School is not typical. Often kids don't get this much help. Adults in schools, the teachers and administrators are just as overwhelmed and burned out as the kids. 
they don't have time or brain space to figure out the individual needs of the hundreds of kids that pass through their classrooms each day. It would be easy to miss a kid like Josh Rosario, who is quietly trying to solve his problems on his own. I was feeling mad at myself, so I was feeling sad about myself, so I was just questioning things. I was just talking to myself. I was out of my mind. We'll hear from Josh, whose mom underestimated the amount of trouble he was in. I spent time with him two days after a panic attack. Stay with us. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. I had planned to meet Josh Rosario at school to talk about his anxiety, but on the day of our interview, he changed the location to his house. He'd stayed home from school that day because of a big panic attack just two days before. The panic attack was still very present in Josh's mind, but I didn't quite realize that's why he seemed so anxious as he showed me around his clean two-story duplex. Upstairs is my room and my parents' room. Josh started off as a bit of a puzzle to me. When I met him in the El Cerrito High Anxiety Group, he was shy and had trouble expressing himself. He was the last person I thought would want to be part of this story. I also didn't peg him as a fan of the rapper Eminem. And I bought a poster, and I'm a huge fan. What do you like so much about him? I, I've understand him in a way to where I connect to him really well. And I can understand his issues and stuff he goes through and a lot. And um, and it really have, gives me this deep connection towards his music. Josh's connection to Eminem runs deep. The rapper even has an album called Recovery. Even now, standing in his bedroom, I can tell Josh is anxious. He looks uncomfortable and he's got his hands jammed down in his pockets. He's anxious a lot, but he also really wants to understand why he feels this way. He keeps talking about this big, scary panic attack just two days before. It all started, as it frequently does, with his schoolwork. It was like around 4 o'clock in the evening. Uh, I planned to do my homework and put on some music, try to focus on my homework. But I don't do much of it. I'm on my phone, through social media and such. And every minute he messes around adds to his building anxiety, paralyzing him. I know breathing helps a lot, so I'm trying to calm and breathe. Josh is angry at himself. It's not that he has too much homework, it's just that he can't make himself do it. And the harder he tries, the more worked up he gets. I'm trying to relax and trying to focus on trying to at least finish one one simple thing on my homework, one simple thing. 
Like I could like write one sentence and it's that hard to even like focus and write one sentence. An hour passes. The anxiety is growing. It was everything flooding in, waves, waves, growing bigger. It was getting pretty bad. It's getting so bad, he's losing control. He can't calm himself down. As it grew bigger, I was hyperventilating. I was a bit sweating. I was losing my mind. I couldn't help thinking that if I was in this situation, the first person I'd tell is my mom. But Josh was hesitant to do that. He was afraid of her reaction. I was a bit mad at my mom because she didn't understand. She thinks that it was because of the stress and how I procrastinate and how I'm irresponsible in a way. Josh's relationship with his mom has been tense. She thinks that I have it easy to... I shouldn't be worrying about school so much because I only have three classes. I only go to boxing. I don't do a lot of stuff. She thinks that it's easy for me. Listening to Josh, I felt like I was there with him. And as terrifying as the actual panic attack sounded, what hit me more is how much he desperately wants to believe he can handle this on his own. I find ways to cope. I find ways to manage and control it. His go-to strategies are deep breathing, listening to music, and making himself some tea. He wants to believe he's in charge of his anxiety, but this attack shook that belief. I never really got into the point where it's that bad. So bad that he finally did tell his mom and went to the doctor for medication. He takes a generic of Xanax now when the panic attacks get bad. He says he's still figuring out when to take the pills, and the few times he's tried, they made him sleepy. As I'm thinking back on Josh and Brianna's stories, there are some striking similarities. Both of them describe their anxiety as overthinking. They both feel like they're letting their parents down, but they don't ask for help because they don't want to be a burden. I asked psychologist Nina Kaiser how she gets students to stop spinning out, obsessing about what just happened or what might happen in the future. It's basically like junk mail or spam, right, in terms of, like, your thinking patterns. And so, like, going into it with that mindset, like, my job is to figure out, is this spam or is this an accurate message? What evidence can I look for? You have to kind of outthink your thoughts. Find examples when that negative thinking wasn't true. But that's way easier said than done. That takes an immense amount of practice. Um, Those thoughts tend to be really powerful and really automatic, the anxious thoughts, right? So they're coming into your mind like really quickly, really loudly. Um, And it's challenging to step back and notice that there are other ways to think about the situation. So, Key, now that we have a sense of what's going on physically and mentally when someone is anxious, I want to share some tips Nina Kaiser has for parents. Yes, please. I'm sitting here listening and worrying about dealing with this when my kids are teenagers. Okay, so first off, the obvious. Try not to put a ton of pressure on your kid. But if they are already struggling, it's best not to judge. Help them feel like you're on their team and you're solving the problem together. Okay, so what does that look like exactly? Nina Kaiser suggests that parents should research and discuss anxiety with their kids so that when it comes time to push them outside their comfort zone and face those things that make them anxious, they know it comes from a good place. 
Interesting. So it's not always about helping them feel better in the moment. Well, Nina Kaiser says kids need to learn that anxiety is trying to control them, and the best way to get out from under that is to push back. Okay. So my takeaway is be curious, not frustrated. Yeah. Basically, you got it. And if you're listening along and want more takeaways on how to recognize signs of anxiety and how to help your child deal with it, go to kqed.org/anxiety for more information. And if you know anyone who's struggling with anxiety, consider sharing this episode with them. Or go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe or leave us a review. It really helps other families find the show. to say reporting this episode it was really hard to hear about all these young people suffering with anxiety and it got me thinking what could we be doing earlier to prevent this i've got an idea on the next episode we're going to be talking about play <laughs> and how kids aren't getting enough of it and what some schools are doing to change that that's interesting so play is connected to anxiety can't wait to hear Mindshift is produced by Ki Sung and me, Katrina Schwartz. Our editor is Julia Scott, and Seth Samuel is our sound designer. Julie Kane is our head of podcasts. Ethan Lindsay is our executive editor for news. And Holly Kernan is KQED's chief content officer. And I really want to thank the students who spoke to me for this episode, especially Brianna, Josh, Danny, Gigi, and Alden. Also, big thanks to Jen Rader at the James Morehouse Project for her help, along with Corey Mason, Eric Chow, and Maline Dupre-Dominguez. Also, thanks to Nina Kaiser and to Teresa Wersbianska and Chanel Ignant from KQED's education team for their help connecting with students. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.